This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today on What the Heck with Adam Levin, we're joined by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Sarah Ganim and award-winning showrunner Karen Given. They're the hosts of Believable, a new podcast that explores how one person's inspirational rise to internet fame came crashing down in a flaming wreck of lies. And we also talk about what we can learn from her story. Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. Sarah, Karen, we are so happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for having us. So happy to be here. We're very excited. So where are you coming to us from right now? I'm in New York, uh, lower Manhattan. And I'm outside of Boston. All right, so we have a decidedly East Coast presence. Yes, for a West Coast story. (laughs) You have a new podcast out called Believable, and I've actually listened now to three episodes. They're terrific. But what can you tell our listeners about it? Our podcast is about a woman who told the world that she is a survivor of child sex trafficking. She told the world that she was a Mormon. She told the world that she was a member of the LGBTQ community. And she might not be any of those things. Her name is Coco, which I think is just the cutest name, first of all. (laughs) Is it a nickname? No, it's not. She was internet famous. She was. Oh, wow. She was an influencer. For a while, it seemed like Coco Berthman was everywhere. I'm here with an incredible woman, an incredible survivor, an advocate, Coco Berthman. And with every interview, Coco's influence grew. Yeah, and, and when you say an influence, for real, she was a real influencer. She had a following. She had people who yeah. were really interested in the story. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, I would say, like, she was within a pocket, like certain pockets more well-known than... Within other, you know, there are people certainly who haven't heard of her. She wasn't like a household name, even in in within a certain generation. But uh-huh. she, she's certainly like within Utah, within the LDS community, I think within the sex trafficking, anti-sex trafficking and advocacy world. She was a rising star. What did she use her internet fame to do? Was it advocacy or was she using it to build an empire? I mean, in theory, she was an advocate. And we talked to a lot of people who said that she could have done very, very good work as an advocate because she was well-spoken and she was telling a story that was heartbreaking and got people's attention. The problems were many, though, right? As, as it went along, it was pretty clear that her main goal was probably to be famous or at least to get a whole lot of attention, both on sort of a public scale and a personal scale. And so the community that she was advocating for is actually the community that that felt feels most hurt by what she did, both in how she treated them, how she presented this thing that she was advocating for, and ultimately the betrayal of 
all of the lies that she told in doing that. Yeah, I think that the that community also was among the first to call her out. And it's interesting, like they saw some of the red flags before many others did, in part because of how she was treating them. The so-called advocacy, like I think it was very surface level and they saw through that really, really quickly. So can you describe for us what she was like online as an internet famous person? She was exactly what you would expect of a 20-something who's trying to be kind of fabulous on Instagram. (laughs) Beautiful, but also like glammed up, lots of drama. She made a lot of smart social media choices in how she got people's attention. She was a good storyteller. She was kind of like typical influencer. I mean, this is me speaking as an old lady millennial looking at this generation of Instagrammers that are much better at it than I am. To me, it was it was what you might imagine if you were to like create a very generic <laughs> influence, like fill in the blank influencer. She, she was very, very good at telling a story that was very, uh, you know, if it was completely true, would have been very, very painful. And she could do it very bluntly with a lot of detail, but still in a compelling way. The story that she told was that she had been born and raised in Germany and that she had been sex trafficked by her mother for the first 15 years of her life. And then she had escaped in the middle of the night while listening to a Celine Dion song. It was all very, very beautiful. She had um, she had escaped and gone to a clinic uh, for traumatized children. And then when she got out of that clinic, she said that she had been um, basically duped by a therapist into moving in with him and starting a romantic relationship with him. And then he held her captive for the next two years. Right. So the story just keeps growing and growing. And I think it's important. It's very important for survivors for us to say, like the things that Coco said happened to her do happen to people. They just maybe didn't all happen to this one person from Germany. How large was her Internet following? I think it's hard to tell exact numbers because she deleted so many of her accounts. I think the most she had about 60,000 Instagram followers. Um, TikTok, I'm not sure because that got deleted. Um, she had a pretty big following and she she was growing at the time that she got caught, right? So she had just done a TEDx talk. She had just appeared on a couple of pretty big podcasts. And so her influence was growing when she she got caught. Well, a lot of this sounds like uh, kind of has the uh, same sort of tone uh, as uh, young adult literature that I remember my uh, older sister used to read a lot of just kind of being that really grim and dark and heavy stuff. Um, but I think one of the main questions I have is how did she uh, start to construct the narrative? Was it exclusively through social media or was it offline through her community in Utah that she had relocated to? I think she definitely created the story in private. You know, Karen said these things happen to people. They're real things that do happen, but we don't necessarily think they happen to her. I think I would add to that, like, it would be a rare instance that all of these things would happen to one person. 
So, of course, the, you know, these kinds of things, the, the stories that she was telling are, are real events that happened to people. Was there a specific moment when Coco started sharing this version of the story? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a hard it's a hard thing to pinpoint because it it sort of requires us to decide when she started making things up. You know, she started telling people bad things were happening to her when she was pretty young. When she was a teenager, she was hospitalized for mental health issues and certainly started making allegations around that time. And and there and we should say that everyone we've talked to who knew Coco, they all say, well, I don't believe that story anymore, but I still believe that something happened to this woman. That she is, in fact, showing true signs of PTSD, true signs of disassociation, true signs of of having had some traumatic event in her past. And we just don't know what exactly that is. So when we talk about her her younger days, we can't be sure whether what she was saying at that point was made up or whether it was real. This sounds like really difficult territory to navigate for a journalist because on the one hand you have somebody who's lying and on the other you have somebody who's a victim or mentally ill or both so how do you navigate those waters really carefully we had so many discussions about this i mean we still have discussions about this I personally felt really strongly that 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 should be something that we deal with, should be something that we deal with carefully, but it shouldn't mean we're not telling the story because I think that there's a lot to benefit from telling the story. I remember one of the first drafts I wrote of episode three was an entire draft of like, child sex trafficking is real. I don't want this story to further injure people who actually went through the abuse that Coco says she went through, right? And so for me, a big part of it was talking to survivors and getting their point of view on what had happened. But it's really important to me to like make sure that that through line comes through because we we have such a tendency, I think, and it's been a great push in the world, right? Where we said, our tendency is going to be to believe people who tell us that they're survivors, right? We're going to believe survivors of rape. We're going to believe survivors of abuse. We're going to believe them because that's what we need to do. And I don't want this podcast to change that. However, some fact-checking can be in order, especially when a story is this intense, especially when it starts to change, especially when the person can be seen as trying to turn that story into a monetizable career, I think then you, then some fact-checking can really come into play. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means you get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, 
fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. So, Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address, or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. You, you said that, you know, her goal was to be famous. What role did money play in all of this? Or did it play a role in any of this? I mean, money certainly was something we all need, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. not not a factor. <laughs> um, part of the scam was monetary. That's arguably how she got caught and um, why she's facing the most, you know, the most serious of her consequences, which aren't really that serious. But the criminal charges that she faced were about the money, yes. But I think when we started talking to people who were um, in co- like who knew her and consider themselves to be victims of her, they don't talk about the money. They talk about the emotional scam and what they what they lost, what they personally lost to them. You know, we had to sort of ask about the money. Okay, like what did you give her? How much did you spend? That's not the first thing they they say to us. The first thing they say is. You know, I've lost my ability to trust people. I've lost my will to help people. They were emotionally pained by what she put them through. So I think it was for a long time, we thought this was mostly an emotional scam. Well, so for a long time, I thought she was scamming for love and not romantic love, but like the love of a mother. She very much goes after women and mothers and people who are her mother's age. But I think it's just attention. She needs to be the center of everything. So fame is part of that. But really, if you're one-on-one with her, she needs to make sure that you're not thinking about anyone else or anything else. And I think when people were talking to us, right, Sarah's right, they never mentioned the money. And I think that's part of why they didn't realize they were being scammed, is she didn't have her hand out the whole time and say, I need money. And when she did, It was something specific, like, my car broke down, what am I going to do, you know? It was always something like that. And and so 
I think they just gave of themselves and gave of themselves until there was nothing left. And so there were serious financial consequences for these people, right? So like some of them lost their careers, like their, their livelihoods, right? Like there were serious consequences. Um, and, and Coco did make money, right? She did. She's still, I think, making money. Um, but I don't, it doesn't feel right to call it a purely financial scam. It's so much deeper than that. Yeah. I also like began to feel that maybe part of the mental illness part of the story was her like inability to feel anything and that some of the things that she was doing were just so that she could feel something like there's some of the stuff it's beyond just telling crazy stories like it really gets dark in the way that she treats other people and so I started to think that maybe it was like a form of self-harm almost like just to 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 have some sort of to try to have some sort of emotion I mean she clearly does not interact with people the way that we consider functioning humans to interact with people. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. You know, money for some people is proof of love. Like, give me Mm -hmm. money, show me that you care. We've seen a lot of those scams over time. Yeah. We've seen that. I don't know if we even call those scams. I call that some familial relations. (laughs) (laughs) And, And yeah, so she was taking anything that could show that you cared. Right. right. Your money, yeah. your time, yeah. your affection, um, your time away from your family, your time away from your job. She was keeping people up in the middle of the night with fake emergencies. Anything okay, she I'm could sad. take from I'm you. I'm sad. I'm like officially <laughs> sad. I'm sad for her. I'm sad for everyone, but I'm sad yeah. for Coco. For a long time when we were, were working on this, we were like, we had this whole sad puppy theory. Right. Like that Coco's just a sad puppy and there's and it's it's got to be really hard to be her. Right. But when you really dig into some of these things that she's doing and when you hear about what happens when you when she gets caught, you realize she's not a sad puppy. She knows exactly what she's doing. She knows the difference between right and wrong. Right. Um, And she does this again and again because she's getting something out of it. I get what you're saying about Coco, but when I'm listening, I hear borderline personality disorder or uh, narcissistic personality disorder, some kind of deep neurosis that I'm just curious, do you guys go down the rabbit hole? Do you speak to psychologists? We do. Yeah. What did you find out? There's definitely evidence of a diagnosis. Like there's definitely evidence of the things you're mentioning. And then we talk to an expert explains that a little bit more and i want to say that that you said you officially feel sad i mean there were many moments where i had a lot of empathy for her and it wasn't just no learning about her childhood or trying to somehow get into her mind in order to explain some of these things so i definitely had a lot of moments where i felt bad for coco but i have to say in talking we talked to like 40 people or something right karen like on the record and then an additional probably the same number off the record mm. or on background a lot of people i felt more bad for them and i felt that is 
bad as it, at the moments where I felt the worst for her, I still also didn't feel like any of it was an excuse for how she treated those other people that we yep. talked to. Mm-hmm. And it never, I never felt like I never felt like she was doing everything that she could possibly do to better herself and to stop this this situation. In the in the end, like the the, the scales were definitely tipped for me in favor of the people who were harmed here. It sounds like you uh, obviously have spoken with a lot of people about this, but what, if any, was your interaction with Coco? Hmm, very minimal. <laughs> um, just a couple of days ago on Monday was probably my most significant interaction with her in the hmm. hallways of the um, the courthouse in Salt Lake City where she was charged and ultimately pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor. She didn't say anything to me. I mean, I wrote her a long letter that right, I, I was very, I think, honest in it and said, like, I, I certainly have moments where I feel bad for you. I definitely have, you know, feel bad for the people that you've um, interacted with in the last couple of years since you moved here. And we, as I say to almost everyone who I write about, one day to give her an opportunity to take ownership of her own story, to tell her own story and not have other people just have just, I should say, not just have other people tell her own, her tell her story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she ran away and, uh, for real, I, ran away like literally. Like just, ran, yeah, ran. Well, really? I mean, she didn't run, run, but she, she was walked done, quickly trotted. away from yeah. me. And her attorney, you know, yeah. her attorney did the whole "get out of my, get out with a yeah, hand up," yeah. you know, get out. And I said, I said to him, I said, I'm not going to chase her. <laughs> this isn't the paparazzi. Yeah. I'm not going to chase her down the hall. I just want to make sure she under, like, I want to make sure she got my letter, and I want to make sure she knows that we are. We want to hear her side of the story. If she wants to tell her own story, she has a platform to do it with us. But apparently she does not want to do that. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a very been a very strange thing because we've... there. Coco wrote so many things and gave so many interviews and we're on so many podcasts. And, and part of my job was to gather everything she ever said or wrote down, right? And so people have sent us, you know, one person sent us... 600 pages of Facebook messages that were sent back and forth over just a few months. Another wow. person sent us 137, 195, so wow. we, hundreds and hundreds of pages. She was incredibly prolific. So it feels like I know this person, even though I've never spoken to this person. So it's like <laughs> it's like a career. Just oh gosh, yeah, she was very busy, very busy. So as journalists, how do you responsibly call somebody out when it's clear that they're not being truthful about their experience? Yeah, I've definitely been in this situation, by the way, at least twice I can think of off the top of my head where someone has come to me with an allegation and I simply have not believed it, you know, and and I didn't write about them being a liar. Like, I didn't say this person is came to me and is trying to put lies out into the world. But I think because she lived her life so publicly and in her stories were already out there, they weren't just being privately disseminated. They were overtly hurting people. I think that's where it was necessary to 
to tell the story and to sort of like correct the record. In fact, the reason that Karen and I are doing this story is not because Karen and I were like sleuthing around on the internet looking for someone to write about. <laughs> in I think this has taken over in a way that neither of us necessarily, you know, anticipated. We were we were already plenty busy before Coco Berthman. But Dear Media had Coco on their flagship podcast telling her story as she told it. And they wanted, they felt very strongly that they wanted to correct the record. They didn't want to be like others who were just like disappearing the episode or ignoring it and pretending and moving on with their heads in the sand. They wanted to see like, is this true or is this not true? And they asked us both to come in and do this. So that was like the, that's the origins of this for Karen and I. And, and we felt that that was the, the right thing to do is go out and figure out what about this is correct and, and what is potentially not. So Dear Media was essentially a victim of a communication scam, right? So what is a communication scam? Well, a communication scam is when you're you're misrepresenting facts and you're trying to convince people to follow a certain path. Yeah, and it's really if you use any uh, communication platform to f further the cause of a fraud. Were there any other scams going on? Coco's real scam was an affinity scam, which is actually illegal in the state of Utah, um, but that she was not prosecuted for. Very recently made it Very What is an affinity scam? What is that? Yeah, that's interesting. It's actually affinity fraud, and it's when someone abuses membership or association with an identifiable group uh -huh. like uh, the Mormon Church to convince a potential investor to trust the legitimacy of the investment. So essentially believe in my story because I'm an LDS church member. Because I am a survivor of sex trafficking, yeah. because I am a member of the LGBTQ community. Like she she pulled various different affinity scams. Yeah, the Utah defines it as religion, ethnicity, profession, education, handicaps, language, age, anything like that. Although this law didn't become law until after she did the things she did. Um, affinity scams, that's a slippery slope, but it yeah. does make sense. Because so many of the things that she did are not otherwise illegal, right? It's not just, a, it's not illegal to lie to someone. But the, the scam that brought everything to your attention mm, yeah. was the health scam, correct? Right. And then you start, as a result of that, you started looking into the, to the other part of her life. Yes. But was anybody really concerned about part one until they started to question everything in part two? Yeah, there's a journalist, Lynn Packer, in Utah, who is uh, right out of a movie, I have to say. I really, just everything about him is movie character worthy. But he's been, you know, he's a veteran local television reporter who's been there forever, knows everybody and everything about everybody. And when he got wind of her and her story, he was totally unconvinced and did what he describes as like two weeks worth of digging, came up with a ton of stuff, some stuff that we still after 10 months have not been able to replicate and did like a like a 40 minute YouTube video. And I think he ended up doing a part two as well that that called some serious question into the original story of uh, being sex trafficked. He talked to her mother and other members of her family, and got documents that 
just called a lot of the timeline into question. And that was out there before she was charged with the the GoFund, you know, raising money on a GoFundMe for a fake cancer diagnosis. And that was out there, I think, for a couple of months before. Oh, that was out there for, yeah, almost six months before she faked a cancer diagnosis. Um, so the cancer diagnosis was really the, the desperate thing that she did as she was getting caught. So it sounds like a, it sounds like Anna Sorokin meets, uh, you know, Anna Sorokin, the, the fake heiress, German heiress, and meets Scamanda. I mean, it's like a kind of weird hybrid of a story here. Am I, am, am I close or am I? Yeah, plus religion, minus private jets, kind of. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Going back a little bit to the uh, entire concept of an affinity scam. That sounds like a really powerful tool for scammers, just because people tend to trust people within their group or however they uh, identify. At the same time, that sounds like it pales to how uh, scammers can manipulate emotions. How is it that Coco was able to uh, sort of exploit the emotions of um, the people in her orbit? Oh, my gosh. She had so many tools. Mm -hmm. When I was reading through some of her communications, I remember I, I texted Sarah and I'm like, this is how people are indoctrinated into cults, right? Wow. Like, it's very much like she would keep people up late at night with panic, drama, wake them up early the next morning with excitement and love and gratitude, and just took them on this absolute roller coaster where they had no time to think about what was actually happening. Like, no time... I, I kept I kept being like, just do the math, do the math. But there was no time to do the math, you know. Mm -hmm. So so she would she would she would say that she was raped. Then she would say that she was pregnant. Then she would say that she went to wow. the doctor. Then she would say that she had a miscarriage. And you do the math, and you're like, that was that was three and a half weeks. There's like there's not mm -hmm. enough time for all of those things to have happened. Like. The doctor doesn't see you if you say, I'm pregnant from two weeks ago. The doctor says, go away now. Right. So, mm -hmm. so like, but all of these things were happening so quickly. We started talking about it as like the Coco time warp, right? Like once she has you in your, her orbit, time just takes on this very strange cadence because everything is happening so quickly and changing so quickly and going up and down and up and down and up and down so quickly that you're completely disoriented. There were definitely people who like saw that kind of story, but because I think she she is I I think a very smart person, Coco is a very smart person. She had already by that time laid such a foundation that people were I don't know if it was hesitant maybe or nervous to to call her out on that or they just attributed it to some other kind of trauma that like okay that can't be true but she's clearly dealing with some sort of trauma she's clearly something has terrible has happened to her and so i'm gonna let that go i'm gonna let yeah, that yeah, slide yeah. i'm not that gonna call sense. her out on that and they didn't cut her off or view that as like a terribly huge red flag because she had already laid this foundation of uh, sympathy and she had already sort of built a fail-safe story in a sense. And I also think it has to do, and this goes back to the affinity fraud of the community, that she targeted people who are very, very giving of their time, of their, um, of their homes, of their 
of their space in general. People who are very willing, no matter, you know, what your problems seem to be, to, to, to help you, even if they don't fully believe you. Because they feel that it is their duty. That they feel that that is what they are supposed to do. Um, one person even even said to another person, not to us, you know, well, these things might not be true, but she's still a child of God. And it's a hundred percent. And the LDS community, I have a cousin who's LDS and, and that is a hundred percent. You could, it really does at the end of the day, not matter much what's wrong with you because what you need is God. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split second financial decisions. And that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks and I trade options and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rogue Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rogue's got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. Sarah, you've won a Pulitzer Prize. Karen, you have an Edward R. Murrow Award under your belt, and I'm sure other things. You're both very impressive people, and I want to know, you're not new to stories like this. Did making this podcast make you more cynical? How has it affected, how has it affected you personally. Yeah, I um I am a very trusting, believing kind of person. Um and yes, absolutely. Uh and especially the deeper I got into it and you know, as a reporter you kind of go deeper and then you come back out and see the light again, but 
When I was reading those 600 pages, and this is episode two, so this won't be out by the time people can hear episode two, but while I was reading the 600 pages that we base episode two on, um, it was like nine hours of reading this and just being like, how can she, how can she lie like this? And after that, every interaction with friends, with family, you know, friends would be like, I'm sorry, I can't make dinner. Something came up. And I'd be thinking, did it? Did it really? (laughs) (laughs) Because her lies just came so easily and so quickly. Um, And for me, it was hard to see that up close. Yeah. Sarah, did this affect your approach to charities or donations or anything like that? I fear that was ruined for me long before Coco Berthman. Okay. I think the hardest part of this story for me was that normally after you spend 10 months on an investigation, 10 months on a story, you have some sort of resolution. You have some sort of definitive answer. And we don't necessarily have that here. You know, I had to sort of be okay with a lack of resolution at times. So what do you hope uh, people take away from listening to your podcast? I think that one of the things that I have in the last couple of years really been focused on in my reporting is like these societal failures. And I think that this story is about that. It's about all of the societal safety nets that failed Coco and failed the people around her. She pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor, correct? Mm -hmm. How did her victims react to the outcome of the plea deal? Nobody that we interviewed thought that this was like a just outcome. No one felt that justice was served. But we kind of saw this coming, too, like from just from the way that the police investigation was handled all the way through sitting in the court hearings and witnessing how prosecutors shuffled in and out of this case and kind of weren't necessarily always clued in to the details of it. It was pretty clear this was going through the court system as with Coco Berthman and her attorney as the driver. So I was not surprised at all to see this as the end of the court case. But I'm married to a defense attorney. I spent a lot of time sitting in court hearings and watching the justice system work. And so this was not surprising to me. But I think it was very, very surprising to a lot of people we interviewed. There was no trial. This There was a hearing with a plea deal. But I think... I think one of the things that's important to point out, and in episode one, Lynn Packer, that veteran Utah journalist, says this, is that there was a lot more that police could have investigated. There was a lot more that they could have looked into prosecuting. She was getting money as a survivor that she said she was going to be giving to other survivors that we have found no evidence of it getting to where she said it was going to. She was asking people for money just for herself that nobody has ever tracked. And for whatever reason, the state of Utah decided not to pursue any of that. And Lynn Packer believes that it's because politicians were embarrassed. Many of them had sort of stood beside her and had their photos taken or had spoken of her brave work. Right. And they just want this to go away. They don't want to be thinking about it anymore. So I think a lot of the the people that Sarah is talking about, who we interviewed for this podcast, 
they're incredibly disappointed because they see what she was prosecuted for as being just a tiny, tiny part of what she did. And the rest of what she did has not been addressed. Well, it sounds like the damage that Coco had uh, inflicted here was more personal and emotional than it was necessarily criminal. Um, You can't really prosecute someone for hurting your feelings. Imagine a trial where some of the people that we've interviewed they get up on the stand and say, well, she made me stay up with her texting all night. Like, what is a jury to do with that? You know, yeah. it's it's horrible. It's not a nice thing to do. It's not a nice way to treat people. No. But is it illegal? Like, I think a, a good defense attorney would have a field day with that. And And, you know, then you're putting all of these people through the emotional burden of a trial and potentially not really a crime and there that's all sorts of fraud right so but i also think that's why she was able to get away with it for so long right because i think people didn't think they were being scammed because they weren't opening up their wallets in the way that we think of you know like money wasn't disappearing from their account and so they thought oh she's just hurting she just needs me she's just in trouble i'm here for her Right, um, right. And so I think that, I mean, for me, a takeaway, not to tell other people how to feel about this story, but for, for me, a takeaway is like, money is not the only thing that can be stolen from me. Yeah, money may not have been leaving their wallets or their accounts, but oxytocin was leaving their bodies. <laughs> the funny thing is like money was leaving their wallets, yeah. but it wasn't going directly into her bank account. It wasn't like, click this link and now you're... <laughs> You know, yeah, you're yeah. you're you're compromised. Your bank account's compromised. It was like, oh, I I need a place to stay. You can stay with me. Like, what's the value of that? I need to get out of Germany right now. What's you know? Okay, I'll buy you a plane ticket. The first thing that comes to mind when people think about being hurt by that request is not the cost of the plane ticket. It's the the day of stress that this this person is being chased through, you know, another country and I need to get them out. Yeah, they had been thinking about what she had taken from them emotionally for years. Yeah. Like they they could describe that without us even asking them. But describing what she had taken monetarily, you know, people were sitting down or were we were on on the line with some people where they were adding things up, you know, and saying, Oh wow but they knew exactly what the emotional impact was. Yeah. Absolutely. And also I think the impact on like the work that they were doing. So like this particular couple works in the anti-trafficking world and like they saw the impact of someone exaggerating like what that is doing to their work and they were pretty angry about that. Well, listen, Sarah, Karen, we can't thank you enough for sharing your time with us. Speaking on behalf of all of us, I I have to tell you, it sounds like a terrific podcast, and it's called Believable. And where can people find it? Anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, all the usual places, you'll be able to find Believable. We're looking forward to listening to the podcast, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks. Thanks for having us. What's your thought about this 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 interview we just did? 
it's just tragic that there are people out there that continue to take advantage of other people coming up with scam after scam after scam. You know, obviously not illegal to be mentally ill or even neurotic. Um, and for me, the whole time I was listening to the story, I was struck by how easy it is these days for somebody who is not okay to uh, in, be inflicted on others. And I don't know if they're responsible uh, for it any more than the social media platforms they use are responsible for it. I mean, what do you do with somebody who's clearly got problems in a very public forum? I mean, to me, that's just deeply problematic. I, I don't know what to think or feel. I think one of the biggest things is just to raise awareness that when you see a story online that tugs at your heartstrings, uh, no matter how um, dark or upsetting it might be, just to always be able to keep in mind that this might not be strictly true. But then you get into like, you know, if somebody says they got raped, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say this might not be true. I, I'm not going to go there. I mean, that's the truly disturbing thing about it. And I think that's the uh, collateral damage that most people don't consider is that when someone is willing to lie about a topic like that, then that does a yeah. massive disservice to the people to whom that's already happened. But I think the, the message it also sends is that whatever story you hear online, yeah. You really have to take a moment to reflect upon the story and then decide how emotionally involved or financially involved you want to get. That's right. Because, you know, you walk like down the street and you see people, you know, all the time who aren't doing so great, but you can't stop and help everybody. You just can't. And, and even if you do stop and help a number of people, your ability to help them is somewhat limited by your circumstances in life. I think we're going to see a lot more affinity scams in the future, too, as um, I mean, it's really no secret that right now our society is incredibly divided. And I think what that means is people are not just putting more distrust toward things outside of their circles, but a lot more trust into the uh, groups that they belong to. And uh, as we found time and again, scammers will exploit any opportunity. And that seems like a big one. Yeah. And this actually brings us to our tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to help keep you safe on and offline. So. What's on your mind today, Bo? Well, it's sort of, I feel it's a little petty, but I just lost an hour of my life. Ugh. And I wasn't, no, but listen, I wasn't getting scammed. It was to confirm that I wasn't getting scammed. I had to call my bank. So just, I got a call saying that somebody was writing checks in my name, which I was paranoid about already because we just did a show about it. And it turns out when you call the bank to ask them a question like that, they have different fraud specialists, ones for banking, ones for checking, ones for credit cards, ones for your financial account, I think. there's It's not one phone call. So there was a lot of being on hold, getting transferred, making sure people who were in different countries understood what I was talking about. That doesn't sound like very much fun. Oh, yeah, it was definitely not a lot of fun. Um, it, um, it's, it, but it does bring us to the larger point that I feel that a lot of people take for granted. Which is? Time. People usually focus on the financial losses from a scam but the amount of time it takes uh when you've been targeted by a scammer even if you haven't been scammed it really adds up yeah i think the average amount that it takes to recover or even deal with an identity theft uh case is uh 40 hours 40 hours yeah guys that's like a full work week 
Now, just for a minute, imagine you're an hourly worker, which you're not. And even if you can uh -huh. recoup your money, you're never going to get your time back. And like they say, time is money. A lot of people need to use up vacation days, PTO, sick days, just to make sure their bank account isn't going to be emptied for real. That's ridiculous. And, and, and you know, what else? Do they, I guess they got to check the credits intact. Your email hasn't been compromised. Can you imagine giving a day of your life? Like, I mean, also, when you do that, you're actually stealing from your employer because... It's paid time. Well, I guess it's paid time off. I mean, so report it that you're doing it because actually you shouldn't be using a vacation day to do it. I don't know. Try, Adam, what would you do if I used a paid time, a PTO to deal with a identity theft? I am Lord Bountiful, so therefore I would be very much <laughs> in favor of you doing whatever you need to, to save yourself. Okay? Oh, yes. so... Let's talk about what people can do. Look, first and foremost, you got to have a paradigm shift in the way you think about the stakes of scams and identity theft, right? So when people look at your employment package, you, you don't just factor in your salary, you factor in your benefits too. So think about getting scammed the same way. It's not about money lost. It's about the time you lose. Especially if you're in a position where you're living paycheck to paycheck. So even if you don't have a lot of money in the bank, you still need to be diligent about your finances and your accounts because a lost week or even a day could just be a calamity. Yeah, and if you don't feel like doing it, you don't have to. There's plenty of experts out there who do it. And um, look, unless you're extremely handy, uh, you hire somebody to fix stuff like plumbing or like a window that needs reglazing. If you don't know what reglazing is, you shouldn't try to fix your window yourself. So <laughs> there's people who do this for a living. And... You know, they're going to do it better than you are. Also, Bo, invest a little time in preemptive measures, like install a password manager, set up two-factor authentication in all your accounts. That takes a little time. Yep. But compare that. This is like cost-benefit analysis, okay? Compare that to how long it takes to recover those accounts once somebody crawled into those accounts. Or even how long it took me to like find out that nobody had done anything. Okay, so freeze your credit, right? That takes a little bit of time, but can help save you a whole lot of time if someone gets into your account, starts setting up new accounts, and also set up a pin for your tax returns. A little bit of time, but... Yeah, no, and that's the thing, and I do. I get my, my IRS pin every year as soon as I can, and I get it tattooed between my pinky and my index finger. I have, it's very, Ouch. because it wears off. It does hurt a little bit, but anyway, I just actually write it down on a piece of paper and put it in my safe with my divorce agreement. Anyway, <laughs> listen, it an ounce of prevention will save you a ton of time. And that's our tinfoil swan. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.